This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, April 17th, 2023. I'm here today with my colleague, Danielle Battaglia, who's our congressional correspondent, uh, calling in from our nation's capital. Hello, how are you? So Danielle and I live in different states now, but we actually met up recently when I was in Northern Virginia for lunch at District Taco, which if you're wondering what we talked about, yes, it was North Carolina politics for all lunch and tacos. We talked about the tacos. Or you got a burrito. Neither topic should surprise anyone. Right. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, D.C. politics to start, and then we'll talk about the uh, latest in the legislature. When a North Carolina's congressional delegation has made national news lately, not for legislation, not for Madison Cawthorn-type reasons, but for social media. So, Danielle, who are we talking about, and what's what's the drama? We're talking about Jeff Jackson. And Jeff Jackson, if we want to start at the beginning, he um, is a TikTok star now. I don't know if you all have paid attention to this, but he has 1.5 million followers on TikTok and 10.6 million likes. And what kind of pushed him over the edge to get TikTok attention was on March 10th when the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. He for whatever reason, at 2 a.m., decided to film a video, which, bless his heart, really broke down what is going on in uh, the banking system and how this collapse happened. And he broke it down to, like, basic English language where the average person who doesn't understand finance really could understand it. We got 29.1 million views. And a lot of those were, like, teenagers being like, hey, mom, hey, dad, look at this TikTok of Representative Jackson. Um, and so he got like this new audience from that. Not that he wasn't already getting attention on TikTok, but that kind of pushed it into national attention. And um, it's been great for him. He's made the Washington Post. He's made every other news outlet. I think he's been on CNN, everywhere else that you can think of. Um, but it did not sit well with all of his colleagues, because if we want to talk policy, which we love to do, um, there is a push to make a national ban across the country to not have TikTok on any American phone. Um, right now, there are 26 states, including North Carolina, that ban TikTok on government phones. But we're looking to ban it nationwide because the Chinese government could be using it to spy on Americans is the concern. So Senator Tom Tillis called him out. And I actually have his quote right here. It says, China is one of the biggest geopolitical threats America has ever faced. It's beyond reckless for members of Congress to still be encouraging their constituents to use TikTok, knowing the Chinese Communist Party is mining all their personal data. Um, so there's this push between the and the Democrats of whether it's safe to use TikTok. And um, in Representative Jackson's defense, 
He says he only uses TikTok on a single phone that has no access to anything else. Although I'm trying to figure out how he gets the video to that phone because it's the same video on all his social media platforms. But um, he ended up with an ethics complaint this week from a group called Foundation for Account- Accountability and Civic Trust, which is shortly called FACTS. Um, they are That's convenient, them. isn't it? Isn't it? Um, somebody told me, I've never heard of FACTS before, and that sentence made me laugh. But anyways, uh, it's a dark money organization. It's run by conservatives, and um, they actually went after both him and Representative Nickel, who represents the 13th Congressional District. I don't think I said um, Jackson represents the 14th Congressional District. And um, basically, they are... They're looking to have them investigated because they've been using their campaign profile now as their congressional profile and kind of mixing the two. There's also been some concerns because uh, Representative Jackson has on his account pictures of the House floor that he didn't take. It came from a third party, but that's still against the rules of the House. And with um, Representative Nickel, he has posted a video of him doing a C-SPAN interview inside the Capitol wearing his congressional pin. Each member gets a pin every session. Um, Both those being inside the Capitol building and also having a pin and also using C-SPAN video is also against rules. And so they're they're being asked to be investigated by the House Committee on Ethics because of that. So there's a lot of of drums going on. On On the state level... It's a when this first came out, uh, Governor Cooper had instituted the ban and it wasn't really clear like what this means. And so there are limits to the state owned devices. It's uh, state agencies. You're not supposed to use it on your computer or your phone, but it does not extend to universities. And that was one thing that um, when we first uh, first covered this, I think it was in January when it first came about and. Uh, I think it was Sane and Hardister, two Republican House members that had asked Cooper about it. And then he had this order saying that they were going to come up with this plan and not allow it. So there's also legislation, too, which would extend it to a much more blanket ban in the state as far as on on state owned phones and and potentially more. So that hasn't passed the General Assembly yet. Uh, Probably will at some point. And if Cooper is already generally in support, it will probably sign it. But again, with the votes, doesn't matter if Cooper supports it or not. All you need are um, just all the Republicans, if that's who's in the room, or a few Democrats, if not everybody is there. So it seems like TikTok specifically is going to get a lot more scrutiny and rules from all levels of government. I don't know what's going on at the local level, but you know, state and federal for sure. What did um, what's Jackson's response to this? What is he saying other than the fact that he has a burner phone for TikTok, which is I love, I love that he has a burner for TikTok. Um, he feels like he didn't do anything wrong and basically um, is denying it. I'm trying to remember his exact phrasing, but I think it was basically Tom Tillis doesn't have as many TikTok followers as I do, which is true because Tom Tillis doesn't have TikTok. He does have a spoof account, which cracks me up. So we started one on him. Um, but it's just uh, Representative Jackson and Representative Nickel were the only two I could find that actually had TikTok accounts. Also interesting, about the same time Tillis made that statement, uh, TikTok CEO Xiao Chu was in the um, in the Capitol testifying before the 
House Committee on Energy and Commerce about TikTok. And it was very bipartisan. They were all just lobbying attacks on TikTok for what uh, TikTok, the China equivalent, which is Doyen and ByteDance, which is the parent company, were doing with the software to American phones and technology. And uh, even just me being a reporter sitting there, it made me not exactly want to have TikTok on my phone. It was an interesting meeting to hear. Do you have TikTok on your phone? So I downloaded it to see Jeff Jackson's videos. And then I realized I didn't need it for Jeff Jackson's videos. And after listening to that meeting, I deleted it. But you should follow us at News and Observer. <laughs> we'll see what happens with the laws and everything, right? Nothing impacts everything. I mean, social media is a useful tool, you know. So we'll... Uh... That's, I guess that's the latest on, uh, we could do a TikTok explaining TikTok really. So. I, think we I actually thought Jackson's explanation with the banks was kind of a mindset of when we write those explainer stories where you anticipate the questions people are going to ask and like come up He's with He's really, really good at breaking down for the average person what is going on in the federal government, which really irritates me as a reporter because that's my job and he really steps on my toes, but he's yeah. so good at it. He does it on his social media platforms. He does it on Reddit. He does it in a newsletter every week. Um, he's got a gift for it. I don't know why he's not a reporter. Well, probably because he's, he's part of the job. <laughs> well, I remember in the state Senate, he would um, usually have somebody record him for things he would use later and in, in emails and that sort of thing. Um, and people would notice that. You notice when the cadence of a lawmaker changes when they're having somebody uh, record them for them to to use it differently versus if they were just talking to the the other people in the chamber. So, yeah, um, we, we sat behind him and Representative Nickel in the Senate, and I was trying to find a photo of the two of them together that we were not in to post with the story, but I couldn't. It would have Speaking. been more fun if we were. <laughs> I don't like to be in the paper. Speaking of the legislature, a lot has changed. Yes, uh, and we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um what's going on at the legislature next week and we'll also tell y'all our picks for headliner so we'll be right back you're listening to under the dome i'm news and observer politics reporter don bond here with my colleague daniel pataglia out of dc uh before the break we talked a lot about jeff jackson and tiktok and a little bit about the legislature and maybe we should talk more about that what do you think daniel I think we should. Um, you were on vacation when all hell broke loose. And I want to hear what you've learned since you returned to North Carolina. She was here with me, by the way. Right. I was uh, paying attention to everything the, the whole time. So what happened this week? And and I started off my phone calls talking to, to different sources. Of, I know you're tired of talking about this to all the reporters, but um, we're still talking about it. So let's let's talk about it. Thank you. Uh, it was uh, our politics team did, uh, Danielle and I and, and Luciana and Avi and Lars, uh, worked on follow-up stories about Trisha Cotham changing parties beyond that initial uh, reaction and looking further at what does this mean, what's behind it, what are some of the timeline issues, that sort of thing. Luciana, Perez Arebe, Ignasi and I had a story out looking at uh, the mostly the Democratic side as far as Cotham's 
um, claims in her conference about, excuse me, her press conference about what it was like in the caucus. So I talked to people in the caucus and former people in the caucus and in the building and uh, Stephen Wiley, who's the head of the House Republican Caucus, which she's now a new member of, about how much of this is uh, corroborated by other people, how much of this is what is what she's sharing as far as her reasons for switching. And it became pretty clear that whether it's the only reason or not, um, how she felt in caucus this time was um, a significant um, contributing factor. And a lot of what, I don't know if everybody noticed this initially, is that she came back to a different caucus and it's different, not just different, oh, it's, you know, the political cycle has changed or what the policy is or the who is in the majority, but who actually uh, works there and serves there. And so a lot of the lawmakers of all, all range with Democrats, including the moderate Democrats, which she generally has always been, it's not like a huge policy switch for her to all of a sudden um, become Republican, because if you look at her votes at session and then in years past, not on every issue, of course, but but some issues and, and what she did in the meantime, she's a proponent of, of school choice. So a lot of those lawmakers are, are gone that she worked with and she was part of this this group, um, a coalition at a time when she was got a lot of attention for being the youngest woman in the House Democratic Caucus and how the big factor in the times changing as people retired. Mickey Mishaw was one of those people. He actually went and became a senator for one day and left. Um, as far as I know, the only House Democrat that's still around is Michael Ray. And Michael Ray gets a lot of attention now, which he clearly does not enjoy. Um, as being one of the the swing voters in the in the caucus, so I was looking more on the on the Democratic side. I know we also looked more on the Republican side and at at money and and other things and issues and what this could mean. So um, that's that's a bit of what I've been working on. You of course can read it newsobserver dot com. Um, Danielle, if you want to uh, talk a little bit about what what you found and what people should know, the the highlights of that. Sure. I was on the Republican side of this and um, we were looking, you know, there's been a lot of rumors in um trash being said about the Republicans on why Trisha Cotham switched parties. And so my job was kind of to sort through that, see what was true, what wasn't true, what we could find out. And um, we kind of put together a timeline of how this all came to be. It sounds like She's been unhappy for a while. She came back. Um, you know, we're hearing the whole she she's not a freshman, even though she technically is. So she had a mentor over her and that was frustrating. The party wasn't the same, like you said, as what she was used to. Um, and so things got really frustrating for her when she missed the veto on the gun bill. People really started attacking her and it just got to her. And it sounds like from the timeline we've been able to put together about a week before it started, there was rumblings that she was going to switch. I think uh, I spoke with Jason Payton and um, John Harster. They're both House representatives who are high up in Republican leadership. And they said like Friday was about when they were hearing that it was a possibility, but they weren't even sure that the, that was a true like rumor uh, Monday, Representative Sane was told to meet 
uh, Representative Bell and House Speaker Moore at the GOP headquarters. And that's when they found out like this is legitimately happening. By Tuesday, they were meeting with her and she still wasn't positive she was going to go through it. She was talking about like, what does this look like? How are you going to support me? What's the fallout going to be? And during those conversations, a staffer found out about the switch and it got out like wildfire from there, even before the caucus could meet and find out this was happening. Uh, so that's kind of the timeline we've put together on how this all came about. It's been interesting. I got text messages this morning from House Speaker Moore, um, who had been hearing. I was digging around trying to get some information on some of the very rumors. And he is giving me kind of that same timeline. He says he doesn't remember the exact day he heard that she was going to switch, but it was sometime a couple days before it happened. So it seems to all the Republicans, they're saying it was a really fast turnaround from when they were told she wanted to switch to when the public was told. There doesn't seem to be any evidence um, lately. It's, you know, Democrats thinking it was a, a long-term plan or not. Uh, nobody's found any evidence of that yet. And like you were saying with the caucus and and the the caucus, the Republican caucus director said that, you know, he heard over the weekend, barely had time to, to talk to her about this is what's going to happen. And then even though conversations were a few people, it, it got out and then like then a lobbyist heard it and then then it's you know it's out and and spread pretty pretty quickly so we'll see if the tenor changes in the in the house or overall in the building you know this coming week or if you all are listening this monday this this week this afternoon and i'd asked uh democratic house leader robert rees if he thought things would be different in the house now and he said we only add one vote anyway and a lot of that is true it's not like Cotham was this you know, constant, expected, loyal, blue vote. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's a surprise. It's completely different. Um, she had already, like, you know, she wasn't there for the pistol permit purchase uh, repeal override. Um, she had supported the ICE bill. She already is, like, clearly supports um, school choice and that issue. And then there's, you know, some bigger things at play of like, have her positions changed on, on abortion, on LGBTQ rights, that sort of thing. And and our colleague Avi has looked at at some of that. So we'll see how the legislation that moves changes. But now she's one of 72 people in a pretty large caucus. And that's a lot different than when you're one of the few people in the other caucus getting a lot of attention. And now you're, you know, with a with a bunch of others. So we'll see how how she votes and how things move along with committee. And one thing that Reeves said to me that I put as, as the kicker on the story that Luciana and I did. Kicker is like a, you know, kind of a final line, like a way to end the story. Um, that's what, what reporters call it. And it was Reeves saying that uh, two people control the building. Of course, he's talking about Phil Berger and Tim Moore. And he said they have a lot of sticks and a lot of carrots. So we'll <laughs> see what the, what is ahead on the carrot and, uh, and sticks front. So uh, we've used up a lot of our time already. Let's go with a, right into our headliners of the week. Um, yours is serious. Mine is lighter. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first since mine's serious. We can go out. We can go out with a good kicker. Um, so mine is the arrest of the person who breached security at, um, the, I think it's a Marine Corps base, although I've been so in Trisha Cotham world. Uh, actually, no, it's a National Guard base. I'm sorry. Yeah. Air Force. (laughs) Um, so... There was a 21-year-old basically taking 
high level security information and putting it into a discord platform which is like a online i'm gonna say forum but i actually don't know because i'm old now um and basically all these people had access to huge security documents like what we were doing in ukraine and our plans for um helping them defend against russia and it was a very big deal and um New York Times helped figure out who it was by his kitchen countertop, which I'm fascinated by that reporting. And uh, he was arrested yesterday. So I'm very interested to keep following that story. And I have a feeling that's going to be coming up in Congress next week. We should give a shout out to the Washington Post, too, who had the big story with the with the friend in that group that explained a lot of things. And um, yeah, and how like this guy, one thing I thought that was really good about the post story is like way down at the end because there's so much to share is about like a lot of people have access to this information. There's different levels of secrecy, but, you know, putting intelligence uh, information out there um, risks people's lives. So we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Uh, what I'm writing about doesn't really have so much life risk. I guess occasionally uh, it happens. Um, if it attacks you, would probably won't. I'm talking about bears. And uh, when you mentioned Tom Tillis, I switched mine from a uh, an audit on uh, COVID oversight to the bears that were in, I guess, Senator Tillis's truck out in the mountains. And he tweeted something about that and got a lot of attention. Um, but my comment on that is, what's that bear doing? And yes, that's a um, Robbie Anderson, Carolina Panthers reference. So uh, North Carolina black bears is my is my headliner. And the Charlotte Observer, our friends over there, have written an article about the bears. So you can read up more on why the bears were in his truck. Yes. We've talked about bears on the podcast before, usually from Republican lawmakers who um, kill bears. So this one is about bears that survived. So shout out to the bears that made it out. They want to make it our state animal, too. A bear. Okay, don't touch the squirrel. That's an art. (laughs) All right. Uh, that's all the time we have for, for this week. We'll see what happens at the legislature and up in that other capital uh, where you live uh, this coming week. I'm Don Vaughn for the News and Observer, myself and Dale Battaglia. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.